Welcome to the Trusted Advisor Podcast, brought to you by Iroquois Group. Iroquois is your trusted advisor in all things insurance. I'm Edwin K. Morris. Please welcome back in the studio, Janine Foder. She is the Iroquois Group's in-house counsel. Previously, Janine was a partner at the Wagner and Hart Law Firm and moved to the Iroquois Group full-time in 2013. Janine is currently teaching her first law class at St. Bonaventure University called Law and Policies, focusing on cybersecurity. Please note that this podcast is for general informational purposes only. It is not intended to be legal advice and should not be relied upon as legal advice. How does an organization protect itself in the idea of an employee moving on? Well, one very common thing for insurance agencies to do is to write into their employment agreement with producers or other uh, employees who are out selling covenants not to compete or non-piracy clauses in their contracts of employment. All right. So are those two different things? Those are two different things. So a standard covenant not to compete would say in the contract that the employee will not engage in the business of insurance within a certain radius of the uh, insurance office, maybe 50 miles or 75 miles for mm. a definitive amount of time, maybe three years or four years. Whereas a non-piracy clause is more narrow. And what it says is that the employee can engage in the business of insurance anywhere they he or she wants to, mm. but can't take the customer's that they serviced when they were working with their original employer. Got it. Which is really what's most critically important to an insurance agency. It's those customer relationships where the value resides. In this technological-laden world, does that radius geography thing even still make sense? You know, not so much. It's especially, it depends a great deal on where exactly you are. It might mean more in in certain areas of the country than others. But one problem that employers, as a general matter, have with covenants not to compete is that the courts and any other enforcing um, mechanism like an arbitration, an arbitrator or mediator, they're very reluctant to enforce covenants not to compete because they prevent the employee who leaves their initial employer from making a living. Hmm. So if you write in a very either lengthy or geographically broad covenant not to compete, like you can't compete anywhere in the state of Virginia, Hmm. you can't compete anywhere in the United States, it's very, very unlikely that a court will enforce that broad a covenant. So you're always playing this balancing game. You want a covenant that's broad Hmm. enough and long enough to be effective, but not so overly broad or overly long that it's likely to be just thrown out by a court, which is why a non-piracy provision Mm. will often work better for a retail agency because then you're protecting your customer base and you're not preventing a person from going out and engaging in their business, but just with new customers, um, uh, with a a different uh, group of of people. They're not taking your customers, but they're able to make a living. The non-piracy clause is like really just setting the things up to where it can be enforced. You can say, these these folks were here with us before, you can't. Exactly. It's a lot easier to enforce a Mm -hmm. non-piracy in part because it clearly is the heart of the 
original employer's business. And secondly, because it doesn't prevent a person from going out into the marketplace and making a living, uh, but mm-hmm. they just can't take the customers. They can't harvest the, the, the relationships that, yeah. Exactly. No. Exactly. Yes. Yes. I, I don't hear the word covenant in too many other frameworks. So I had to look it up because the only connotation I had had something to do with Salem. So um, covenant for definitional purposes, Merriam-Webster defines it as a usually a formal, solemn, and binding yes. agreement. So is insurance really the only place you hear this non-compete terminology of covenants? No, uh I would, I would define a covenant as a promise. You know, that's probably the most basic definition. And I think these promises not to compete occur in many mm-hmm. industries where the primary product is an intangible intellectual property product. Because if, if you have in your head, um, it, or if you can take with you without, you don't have, you're building something in order to go and start to compete right. directly with your former employer, you have to bring right. with you a lot of tangible pieces of equipment with respect to insurance or software development or other things, it might be pretty easy to take what's necessary to build up a competitive business. So how does an organization protect itself in the hiring process to even know something like that even exists? Well, that with a current hire. Yeah. That's another really important point that it's, it, they're so relatively common that if you're an agency who's going to be the the new employer and you're looking at to hire a producer or somebody who has worked in the insurance business previously, Mm -hmm. especially if they tell you they're bringing a book of business with them, Mm -hmm. you want to be really careful that they don't have in place this kind of non-piracy provision or non-compete that would actually prevent them from taking what they think and they might in good faith think they can take, but if you look closely at their agreement, they can't take it. The due diligence is on the, the new hiring yeah. organization to figure that out. And I'm presuming this is not public knowledge, so I can't go down to the courthouse and see if this is on record Correct. somewhere. Yes. I. It's very, very important to have that conversation with the pr- prospective employer, employee to ask them whether they're under a covenant. And mm-hmm. secondly, to if they're willing to, and usually these agreements are confidential, but to share the actual agreement to so that you can see that the terms. Uh, and then sometimes you might ask the employee to warrant in the new employment agreement that they are not bound by a covenant not to compete uh. so that you're getting at least their word. How likely would it be for the new organization to contact the old organization just to see what they say? You know, that's a tough call because sometimes the employee hasn't even told his former employer that he's leaving. Mm. So you're, you might be in a bit of a bind and you want to be careful because even if you're not party to that agreement, so the, the new employer didn't sign the covenant not to compete. But if you hire somebody knowing mm-hmm. that they're bound by a covenant and just disregard it, then that's a whole you, different the world. Employer, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you could you could be sued for interfering with that contractual relationship between the employee and his former em- employer. So I think the best way to handle it is just to really ask to do your due diligence yeah. with the prospect, mm-hmm. and if possible, to request a copy of the agreement that he or she has with the former e- employer. Yeah. And, um, and if you can see that, then you can sort of check for yourself. Those binding agreements, the non-piracy and the non-compete, it's up to the new employer to do, like you say, do that due diligence to know what they're getting into with this new employee and to make sure there is no restrictions, period. But if there is, how do they proceed? Well, I think that 
any business person who finds themselves with a legal conundrum like that. So they've now hired somebody and they find out that they had restrictions. For, and, and again, these things aren't unambiguous. The employee might not be deceiving the new employer. It's just that there can be a difference in opinion about how to interpret these covenants. Oh, sure. Right. I think the, the best advice is to try to negotiate a solution with the former employer. So that might mean mm. buying out a book of business. It might mean agreeing that a new employee is not going to uh, pirate accounts that they had with their old employer for at least a certain amount of time, 18 months or two mm. years. So before you would jump into any kind of adversarial the situation, you know, sue or counter sue or uh, seek arbitration. I think trying to sit down in a room and work it out is the, makes the most economic sense because you might have to pay mm-hmm. a little bit more for your employee because you have to buy out their accounts or you might lose some of what you thought the employee was going to bring with him and her, but you're saving yourself both the time and the cost of litigation, which is an exceedingly disruptive thing for a small business to be involved in. I'm I'm just curious, in the world of insurance, is this infraction covered? So say the new agency hires someone and then, oops, something like this crosses wires they were unaware of or didn't have the exact knowledge of. It it doesn't it doesn't squarely fall under what er, errors and omissions because it doesn't have to do with uh, the extent of coverage for an insured. It would be hard to have a claim like that covered, maybe under a DNO policy oh. or um, possibly under an employment practice policy. The problem is there's almost always an intentional conduct exclusion. So if the employee is mm. not telling you the truth then not telling the truth is not something that insurance companies typically cover. So you don't want to hire somebody who's not telling you the truth. (laughs) It's better to know the truth and to deal with it uh, by negotiating with the former uh, employer than either not to ask or to sort of take somebody at their word that you're not entirely trusting. If you can do some genuine due due Mm -hmm. diligence, ask some more pressing questions, ask to see the agreement, then at least you're going to get a more complete answer and, and your the new employer isn't going to be negligent. You know, um, you, you can't really be responsible when somebody outright doesn't tell you the truth, but that's probably not somebody you want to hire. The last thing I'll ask, is there anything that's different state by state, region by region, that is a tar pit for this type of thing that either happens really well there, or it does not happen very well at all there? Yeah. Well, I am not familiar with every state's laws, but I know this is an area where there is quite a bit of diversity in terms of state laws, that some states are very um, employee-friendly, meaning they're quite hostile to the idea Mm. of covenants not to compete. They feel like they should support an open marketplace that unless you have a very narrowly construed covenant not to compete with a short-term, a short geographic area or uh, very narrowly construed to former customers, it's not going to be enforced. Other states are a little more generous. So I would definitely, Mm. if you're writing a covenant not to compete and you're hiring somebody who you think can really compete with you, it's worth talking to counsel in your state because it's an area where state law does differ in terms of their, just their tolerance of those covenants and how, um, and how broadly you can write and have 
them be enforced by the state courts. Well, I think this has been an extremely informative topic. It's going to fit the bill for a lot of folks that are not clear on this. I'm sure it's one of those things that you don't deal with all the time. Right. Thank you very much for your time today. Very welcome. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Trusted Advisor Podcast, brought to you by Iroquois Group. Iroquois, your trusted advisor for all things insurance. And remember, get out of the office and sell. This program was recorded live at the Cohen Multimedia Studio on the grounds of Chautauqua Institution. I'm Edwin K. Morris, and I invite you to join me for the next edition of the Trusted Advisor Podcast. Podcast.